Good morning, Kafaro Cast. You have TJ Perez here as your host, your only fans exclusive. <laughs> we have Aaron Snyder, Frank Peralta, and David Diaz joining us. What's up, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Was that better? That's better. We'll run with that one. What's up, man? Thanks for coming on. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Do you have an, an exclusive OnlyFans? For your, not for you, but for the, photo- the photography you do? Hell no. For the models? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Which happens to be all self-portraits. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so TJ and I, well, the whole crew here, we've been friends for a long time, and TJ has um, grabbed a hold of photography and definitely taken it uh, by the horns, and you take pictures of a lot of hot chicks. I, do, I will say that. Um, I don't, I don't think I could do it, man. Um, I'm pretty sure that I would eventually eat the cookie. Uh, but they are great photos. Um, but you started photography just a few years ago, and then, man, I, you've accomplished a ton. So we were going to talk about photography today, and then I grabbed David's also a photographer, and Frank's kind of like me. We pretend. Um, so, yeah, that that's the plan. But why don't you kind of tell everybody what you do now, photo-wise, kind of what you, you specialize in and where you got started, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so it actually was uh, about five years ago that I first I reached out to you and got my camera and then just started taking portraits and getting into it and then um, kind of like basically doing more advanced portraits with lighting and, and kind of getting really diving into it. And then um, with everything kind of going on and everyone thinking they're a photographer with their phone and or whatever and like not charging, so I, I get a lot of women that they'd want photos for free or whatever. So I kind of like steered away from that and it kind of moved into the food and drink industry because my buddy is kind of like a, a social media influencer in the like food and drink industry. So he'd hire me for photos, kind of dive into that. And then now a lot of bars and restaurants and, uh, and night nightclubs or whatever will hire me to do their photos for their website, Instagram, whatever. So I, I've really moved into that and then as well as products now. So even like I'm working with a couple alcohol brands that will send me their bottles and pay me and then I get to keep it all the stuff. So it's kind of ridiculous. I have like way too much alcohol in my house and everything. So, but so basically just doing a lot of product photography and that kind of escalated and really diving into that. And you kind of find that it's better. I feel like I like it a lot better with products because I don't have to worry about, oh, well, I don't like my chin in this one, or I look too fat, or I, I don't like my stomach in this one, so I can control everything, and bottles don't give me any feedback. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. How, um, you've went, because uh, we were talking last night, because I may go back to Canon, and was uh, just talking about the new cameras, and, uh, but yeah, and you've went through back and forth on a few different, you know, cameras as well, and it sounds like you recently got uh, the Canon, you know, mirrorless, and I, I, I'm going to assume, because I know I send a ton of people to you with questions, but um, for you, when you got started, you kind of dove in head first. And, you know, I, I get a bunch of questions. Hey, I want to photograph wildlife, and I've got $1,000. And I'm like, well, you're 11000 short from the lens you need. <laughs> so true. Without the body. Yeah, just the one lens. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. With starting out, like, I got that 70D. I took the one photo, and I just told Paige, I said, I need to buy it for $300 more. I said, I need to jump to full frame. Got the 60, the original one. And then, um, 
took photos of that for about a year, year and a half, uh, lying to my wife saying I wouldn't have to upgrade for a while since I got full frame. Bought the Sony A7R2 because I was doing more like real estate and landscape stuff. And then when I started doing like portraits and everything, the autofocus on that terrible compared to the new Sony. So I got the D850, ran with that for mm, two years, two and a half years. Um, and then I was, I, I was looking, I was going to hold off on like getting the Sony, the Z7 two or whatever it was going to be. And I'm glad I didn't get that. I, I'm glad I switched to the, to the Canon, uh, R5. It's, it, it's pretty legit. It's, it's a sick camera. It's, it's pretty crazy, like the technology that's in it. So, but yeah, so I've gone from Canon to Sony to Nikon to Canon. So it's not, it's not cheap. I don't recommend, I don't recommend doing that. You lose a lot of money. Yeah, you can. What, uh, do you get quite a few questions, um, from, from guys wanting to get into photography, um, you know, on social and everything? Yeah. Especially the ones that you sent me. <laughs> no, I, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind at all. I have a lot more time than you do. Um, and I work from home. So it's actually kind of like, it's, it's not bad. It kind of like makes my day go by faster. But, but yeah, I get, I get quite a bit of questions and like gear setups. And then, um, I actually, I get a lot of editing questions more lately than I have, um, like actual camera questions. Like obviously a lens is good or whatever, but like, yeah, a lot more like people not knowing how to edit photos in Lightroom or, or whatever in Photoshop still I'm very like new at and trying to get better at but yeah a lot more editing though yeah you um you kind of dove head first into the editing um quite a bit more than I mean definitely way more than me now I mean I I do some editing but uh yeah I, do you use Lightroom or Photoshop yeah so I use I use a uh, Lightroom primarily for all my baseline edits and then I'll do some stuff like sharpening. I don't do a lot of color stuff in Photoshop. I still like I suck at all the stuff in Photoshop. There's so much stuff I need to learn. Um, but yeah, mostly sharpening, removing stuff, um, some perspective stuff, and then like uh, I've really got into dodging and burning my images. Um, so for you might want to explain what that is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so dodging and burning is basically you're accentuating the highlights and the shadows or the dark features of photos. So if you have a photo that has highlights on it, you're going to paint. Um, you're going to dodge those parts of the images with a soft paintbrush, and it really makes the photo like kind of pop because like raw images, they don't have a lot of uh, like three-dimensionality to it, so it kind of like accentuates everything and it makes everything kind of stand out. Gotcha. So before we talk about a bunch of shit that people don't understand, which we're <laughs> heading down that trail already. Um, and David, you edit in Photoshop and Lightroom as well, don't you? Yeah. Usually I'll, I'll use Lightroom for cataloging so I can just organize and rate and uh, do basic edits for like color, uh, color fixes and things like that. But I'll, I'll do most of my stuff in Photoshop. Yeah, I get a little bit crazy, like a mad scientist there, like doing a lot of contrast control and sharpening and uh, the burn and dodge is, you know, is a thing that most people don't think about. Yeah. Well, and 
You, so David is our full-time photographer, video guy, editor, artwork creator. <laughs> he does all kinds of shit. So uh, I'm glad to have TJ and, and David both on here because I would say I may have gotten TJ into photography, but TJ has far passed me up now. With like, I call TJ now and I'm like, hey, dude, what do you think about this? I, I'm not into it like <laughs> I, I was, which is kind of, um, I made a post about it yesterday about a New Year's resolution. I went to Arizona. I didn't take one photo. If you would have rewound four years, there would have been 10,000 photos I would have taken, probably on the first day. Uh, so I've gotten a little bit lazy about it. I'm going to remedy that. But to stay on top of uh, the, the camera, well, <laughs> cameras get updated faster than phones, um, especially with the mirrorless that Sony kicked in and got the mirrorless thing going and then uh, Nikon made the Z6. I think in seven and then Canon just came out with the R6 and the R5 and I still can't I don't have all of them figured out we'll talk about that in a minute so but what you know kind of rewinding really quick because I want to cover quite a bit of stuff on this podcast and get all all four of our opinion on some of these things the one thing I get a lot and and I want all of us to answer this um I have $500, what camera should I get? My general response to that, you know, depending upon what they're wanting to do, is get a better phone. Because if you're buying a, a three to $500 camera, your phone, uh, I, I know my iPhone takes probably better photos than, than a well, all, probably all, almost all point and shoots, not all, but a lot of them. And the only thing, like if you got a Canon T5i, I don't, I'm making shit up here. I can't even remember all the T series, T7. You yeah, can get one. Yeah, you can get some pretty cheap ones. But my biggest thing is, hey, learn uh, composition, learn photography, learn what aperture priority is, and, and the shutter speed, and, and and learn learn photography before you. Most people think if you buy an expensive camera, it's just going to take good photos. It actually, you're probably worse off if you bought a Nikon 850, a 1D X Mark III. I mean, pick it. You're probably going to take more shitty photos because you actually have to know photography to operate those cameras to a certain degree. Now, if somebody set it up for you and put it on JTAG and, and got all the different adjustments, you, you might snap some decent photos, but you really need to learn photography Make sure that your skill set is equal to your gear um, and not try to buy your way through it. And a lot of times with an iPhone, you can learn, comp when I say an iPhone, a good phone, you can start screwing around with composition and, you know, you're, you've got your phone on you, you're more apt to take photos. And I know this is probably weird saying this, but Frank, you don't know photography probably nearly as well as David or TJ but you have the eye for photography. Frank picks out great photos naturally. He, he'll, in fact, anytime Luke and I and Frank go out, all Luke does is follow Frank and take the same photos Frank just <laughs> took. Would you say that's true for the most part? Frank? Yeah, I think I, I consider myself to be a, a guess and checker. Um, so if I, so if I, uh, if I see a shot that I like, I'll take it. Um, several times in, in a bunch of different settings and see how it comes out and see what I like and then and then just roll with it that way. So that's how I've I've learned. I've always kinda learned that way just by trying out things and then seeing what how it comes out. So 
Yeah, that's what I call my method, guess and check. I mean, it, it definitely would be a lot easier if I knew the settings that I wanted to go with right off the bat and take less photos, but I don't know. With uh, modern cameras and memory cards, you can take a shitload of photos and not worry about uh, using up all your film, I guess you could say. That's what uh, uh, Kenton from First Light, because he was a professional photographer, he's like, dude, it's just mega donkeys. Just burn them. That's what he kept. Just burn the mega donkeys. Doesn't hurt anything. But um, TJ, what would you, you know, starting out with you, what would your advice be for guys with a very low budget and high aspirations of becoming, I don't know, pick a professional photographer where they, you know, $500 won't even buy you a good lens uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, so no. what would your, what would your, what's kind of your suggestions with that? Yeah. Unless you're pushing over a grand, I, I truly, I agree with the phone, especially like that new iPhone, that new iPhone 12. Um, I was watching a like a podcast or something, and it was with Peter McKinnon, and I can't remember how to say his buddy's last name, but Maddie, and they were talking with Apple, and they basically, they artificially do everything. So you'll take the photo, and within, I don't know how many, less than a second, it does all this stuff to where it'll expose the subject and the background and the foreground, and it, it looks insane. So they do that all with AI, and so it, in like, if you don't want to do that, you can spend ten dollars I think for the app or ten a month. I don't know. It, it's included in my Lightroom stuff, but you can download the Lightroom app, and then if you like hold down on the app, it'll actually bring up a camera, and you can shoot raw images so what so it's not a jpeg image you're shooting in raw so it captures a lot more detail you can do it on your phone and you'll, you'll get dngs uh which that's a that's a raw image for those of you who don't know um you can <laughs> capture that on there and then you have a lot more um uh control with the shadows and highlights and everything and and retain some more data that way as well yeah just just because it, it, anything under a thousand you're really like you can maybe get, I don't even know if they make the Canon 70D anymore, but can, like a Canon 80D I think is still a 1,000, and, um, and that's a crop sensor. And that's actually another question I get a lot um, is the difference between crop sensors, full frame, micro four-thirds. We'll go back to that one because that's another crisis yeah. <laughs> all by itself. So, uh, yeah. David, what, what would your advice be for guys asking that with that lower lower budget? Uh, I always, I always say Canon Rebel, start with that, with a, you know, shitty kit lens, 18 to 55. Um, the only reason I would say not a phone is because, uh, the sensor on a phone's literally the size of your pinky fi uh, fingernail. Um, smaller sensors just can't collect that much data. Um, uh, but it is very much automatic exposure. A lot of them will do HDR right in there. It's, uh, HDR is high dynamic range and exposed for highlight to shadow. Um, and also bump your saturation and everything for you. You just point and click. Uh, the downside to phones is like, it's a digital zoom versus an optical zoom. So, you know, even though you're going for a uh, Canon Rebel with a shitty lens, 18 to 55 kit lens, uh, the glass isn't great. It still has an optical zoom a little bit. So you're, you're probably getting a little bit better image with that if you kind of know what you're doing. Um, but Aaron, you're right. With uh, with the phone, you don't have to know all the settings. Um, it's a two point whatever eight aperture on your phone. Um, 
with the camera, you're, you're having to set some of those settings to get a good result, I guess. Gotcha. Frank, any advice? No, I think you guys, you guys are the ones to ask. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a, lot, gotta, a lot of times, a lot, a, a lot of my buddies ask me about cameras and stuff. And I've always said, just get like a little point and shoot. Cause I think my, my buddies specifically are, aren't like going to get way into photography. They just want something to, to capture the moment after maybe for like a, um, grip and grin or something like that. So, so those, those little Sony, uh, what are they? RX 100s. Well, that one, I, that was part two. Cause that RX 100 kind of, to me breaks the rules a little bit along with a few others that, that for a point and shoot, that thing is badass. That is an unbelievable camera. The RX 100 version 97, it's worse than fast and the furious. <laughs> I don't know what version they're on right now, but I, I think six or seven, um, uh, for yeah, that. Yeah, it's like seven. Yeah. So, and so that kind of brings me to my next point. One of the, like what David talked about, like a Canon T5i or a used, what you know, whatever. Um, or uh, like that Sony RX100 is a, a point and shoot, I suggest for pretty much everyone to get if they're like, well, I want to take, uh, I want to have photos that I can have edited. Um, I want to, you know, have some room in there to to pull out some colors or, or edge work, whatever. And I want to be able to to learn photography with it you're probably going to learn technically photography a little bit better on a T5i because it has that more DSLR type build where a point and shoot, you do have to dig a little deeper to start some of the adjustments. They're there, but it's not the same adjustments later on down the line. If you move to a DSLR, you're going to be in la la land. You're like the Sony RX100 will help you understand what aperture priority and shut. You can learn all those and, and apply that with that camera. But it's not like when you go to a DSLR body, everything is at your fingertips on a, well, on most DSLRs. You've got a lot more at your fingertips. So to me, um, and kind of going to part two here for guys asking, if you're going to get a point and shoot a, a DSLR like a T5i um, or, or more of like a DSLR, a T5i, um, they're all going to be some type of a micro four third crop sensor. Um, and I'm going to leave this up to TJ and David uh, to explain the difference between a mirrorless, the micro four thirds crop. What are, what are, it's pretty simple to me. If you have a sheet of paper, that's a big, that's the, the full frame sensor. Well, if you have a micro four thirds, you're taking three quarters of that sensor away, but people are don't, you know, that's, it, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Uh, the easiest way is you're sucking away light, right? You're not, you're not getting, but TJ, why don't you explain the differences and David kind of jump in at the end when he's done, if there's anything to add. Yeah. So basically full frame sensor is, is going to be a 35 millimeter focal length. And when you get down to a crop sensor to get that same image, you're going to have to be on a 22 millimeter focal length. And then, so then the, sensor is even smaller for the micro four thirds. So a 17 millimeter on a micro four thirds is the same as a 35 millimeter on full frame. So it, it's a lot harder to capture wider images on a micro four thirds or a crop sensor. So that's why a lot of people use them for wildlife um, or, or in, in that regard, just because you have more zoom and reach with it, um, not having to buy bigger glass. I totally agree with that. Um, so the whole thing with the uh, full frame 
is it comes back to like film back when film was uh, in production is uh, 35 millimeter film is 24 by 36 millimeters in size. So that's the size of your sensor in a full frame camera. Um, once they started making more prosumer cameras and I'm not a super technical guy, but you know, going to like a Canon rebel or something like that, the sensor is like two thirds the size of the full frame and then going to the, you know, point and shoot, it's quite a bit smaller. And then going to a cell phone, it's actually the size of your pinky fingernail. Um, and with a smaller sensor, it's just not collecting as much light. It's not utilizing the lens quite as much to the edge to edge and getting that uh, optical range out of it. Um, but like TJ, like you said, uh, using a, um, a smaller sensor on a full frame lens you're getting more bang for your buck. If you're using like say a 70 to 200 lens and you're putting a, putting that onto a Canon Rebel if, if the mount fits, um, you're actually getting like a 200 to 300 range. You're getting a bump in your, your zoom pretty much. Yeah, and, and that, like, so and the, the tricky thing is, I don't know why Canon is different, but so their, their APS-C, which is their crop sensor, is 1.6 times. So you multiply the focal length by 1.6 for Nikon, uh, Sony, like Fuji, I think they're all 1.5. They, yeah, um, they are. It, yeah. And so it, it also, they're, the noise sensitivity with ISO isn't as good, and that's why I always opt for full frame, and especially with the newer cameras, they actually have, um, like, a, like an APS-C mode. I think, like, Sony, it's called Super 35 or whatever. Um, and you can shoot, actually, in cross with your full frame lenses, um, so, which is nice to get that extra reach. So just because we've probably just passed the, um, <laughs> brain power of most people listening <laughs> in, not, not, and let, not taking, not saying you guys are dumb. It's just a lot to consume. Um, rewinding just a little bit. Um, people are, as they're listening, maybe asking, well, should I get a, a micro four thirds or a crop sensor? Let, let's pick, um, what's a good, a Sony a 6,500, uh, great photo, uh, great video, great all around camera. Um, it is not much like optics. It's, it's, it is not a Swarovski Leica or a Zeiss. You are not going to get the same, well, especially low light. You're, you're not going to have the juice in that camera that you would on a full frame, but you can take amazing photos with something like an A6500. I'm not up on all the different options nowadays because they keep popping up. Um, there's a lot of people that's a very viable option, meaning they don't want to go full pro camera. They don't want this giant thing, but they do like photography, something like that, and the lenses are much, much cheaper. Where that's going to suffer is low light. It, it there's, there's photos that, that, that I've seen TJ or myself, Frank, David take with these cameras that have a lot of juice, meaning a ton of data to work with. Um, I think my A7R4 is 60 megapixels. Yeah, 60. What's, your, what's, what's that new R5? It's 45 megapixels. And, and, and David, you shoot a, a 750, a Nikon 750, right? Uh, 850. Yep. 850. What, yep. What's that? That thing's 45, isn't it? 40, 45 or 46, I'm not sure. Which, to, to give you an idea, when I started shooting photography, the, the, the 5D Mark III was the camera I had. I think it was 12 and uh, 12 megapixels, <laughs> which, you know, back in the day when I first started, which wasn't that long ago, I mean... 
I never would have imagined. I mean, 60 megapixel like that eats up SD cards like crazy where you know when you when you start looking at these higher end cameras your your laptop may not be able to handle the data like you when you start downloading SD cards your memory will fill up on your laptop super quick so there's a lot more to think about when you start dealing with these higher end cameras than just taking a photo SD cards, when you look at some of these, the CF cards are probably 250 bucks. Is that about right, TJ, for CF or 250 yeah, to 500? Yeah, they're not cheap. Like, even those those new CF Express cards, they're for that. So, basically, the, the Canon 1DX Mark III and the Canon R5, they run um, the CF Express Type B card. And... I, the one thing I will say about them, they are super fast. Like the read and write is seventeen hundred and twelve hundred megabytes we'll, per second. We'll come back to that because so, I got a bitch about yeah. my Sony because uh, it sucks. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So like I think it is. It's roughly for like a hundred and twenty-eight gig card. It's like two hundred dollars. So at the moment, I only have one. Well, and when you I try to buy bastard. it, they were, they were <laughs> sold out. They they were. Uh, they were back ordered like crazy uh, with everything going on. And so, and like, it took me six months to get the camera alone. But so, yeah, so like I ha- I brought a couple of memory cards out just so I have it. So your typical like extreme yeah, SanDisk card is like 90 megabytes per second. So the one that I'm shooting on now writes 1700 megabytes per second. So that's fast. It is a, it is a lot nicer for like dumping footage or like photos. Now it, I can, uh, I did a shoot for the, like a higher end uh, restaurant and bar uh, for Halloween. And I took like 2000 images. It was, ter- it was terrible going through all those photos. But so I was able to like dump all that like photos in like probably 15 minutes as opposed to if I were to have like that regular SD card, it takes forever. And then also, your laptop is going to like sound like a jet engine going through all that data. So that's another thing to look at to like, oh, okay, I want the Canon R5. It has 45 megapixels. Well, if you're on a regular Dell, you probably shouldn't get the R5 because, or unless you're only taking 15 photos because it's going to destroy it with the RAM and the memory and everything. And maybe you should just get the R6 because it only has 20 megapixels. So it's just kind of something to like kind of look into. Yeah, you might have this really nice camera, but you can't really utilize it to its fullest, like unless you have a lot of time on your hands to go through everything. Let, let's talk about that right now. Is is the intended? <laughs> if you're just taking it to go on Instagram, use your phone. Um, and and that, yes. I I that is one thing when I you know I don't want to get into these huge arguments with people because it's it is personal preference, but. When I say use your phone, meaning learn composition, take some photos with you. Because what happens on Instagram is it's so degraded by the time it gets on there anyway. You went from, let's say if I took a raw photo with my R4, it's 58 megabytes. That is a giant file. It's down to a thumbnail that's like 512 KB or basically the size of a flea fart, right? Like nothing is left of that photo. So... I just went, let's say, from a Nikon D850 or what you've got, an 850. I just took a photo that I could blow up for a billboard, 16 by 24 feet. There's that much data on that photo. 
and then I'm going to put it on Instagram, and it's going to get clipped down to a flea's dick. If that's what you're planning on doing, you don't need uh, an 850, a 1DX Mark IV, an R5. I mean, if it's just for the greater good of Insta-famousness, just use your phone, right? You're, and, but if you truly want to get into photography, totally nix that. Like David talked about, you know, grab a T5 or a T7i, learn aperture. We'll go into all that shit later. But what's your intended use of the the camera is it for vlogging is that what it's called vlogging yeah vlogging. yeah, yeah. That's what those what, youtube kids what, somewhere in red flannel <laughs> <laughs> so uh so what's the uh you guys are talking about computers what's the ideal computer setup do you for think? me the biggest beefiest mac you can buy with the most memory yeah. and the largest ram and that's still not enough <laughs> 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 still not, and it's still like I got mine on sale. I, it was like a, a closeout. I think you had just bought one when I bought mine, Aaron, last year. But mine's like, so like I'll go through the specs and don't. I don't know how to talk about all the specs on my computer. I'm not to that degree. I just know it's pretty decent. So I have 32 gigabytes of RAM, which I, I would, if you're going to get into photography, personally, I think you need about 16. Eight minimum, um, but sixteen or thirty-two is kind of where you want to be at. Um, and then I have and a I two terabyte hard drive. Mine's sixty-four. It'll still bog down if yeah. you load enough shit in that thing. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and then and then like I learned this when I like so mine's a two point nine gigahertz, and I don't remember how many in it's i nine Intel or uh, Intel Core i nine, but I didn't realize about like the gigahertz, the two point nine. And depending on how many actual cores you have, so if there's and don't ask me, don't message me about these. Like I can answer like baseline que- like questions or whatever. But there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And like if you get into like doing a lot of stuff on Lightroom and then really complex stuff in Photoshop, it's sometimes I even like I'm like fuck that rainbow wheel. I'm like like <laughs> it gets so annoying, but. Yeah, so that, that's something to look into as well. So, and, um, and what TJ's and, and talking I, about with the, I just so sorry, TJ, but if you download good. 2,000 photos onto a $350 Dell computer, right? Something you'd buy your kid for school, uh, and you guys dive in because you're up, you know, after you are going to have two things happen. One, the wheel will be spinning until tomorrow as it's downloading these photos from a higher end camera. Um, two, there will be no memory left. Um, from the moment, let's say if you downloaded 2000 photos, there won't be, there's nothing left on that camera. Um, and, and literally I have had guys go buy, uh, you know, and a Sony a seven and literally, that one big expenditure turned into multiple after that because then they had to buy a new camera or excuse me, a new uh, computer to run that. Then they download the photos and they're like, I don't like these. I need to edit them. Well, then you're buying Lightroom and a monthly subscription or that or Photoshop. Well, then you have to learn to use it. So now they're on classes on lynda.com. There's a lot to photography at a high level is, is what I'm getting at. You can't just go buy a camera and call it good. That's why the phone is so easy for so many people. But sorry, TJ, go ahead. I, I didn't yeah. want to interrupt too much. Well, it, no, no, you're good. And that's why I, like, I kind of started recommending a phone as well if you don't really have a big budget because it's something that you actually have and you always have it with you. 
and you're you're more apt to take that out. So that's why if you're more apt to take it out and take photos, then then do that because it it sucks. Like I hunted this year, I did so many photo shoots because we bought this house. Um, I only hunted three days this entire year. It was terrible. So like I didn't even. I think I took. I think I took two. I don't know. Probably. 10 photos, 15 photos, and I posted the one of the 10th, um, and Lander messaged me, he's like, dude, just hunch, and I'm like, there's fucking no one at camp, like, I have nothing else to do, <laughs> 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 um, but, so, like, I took, I just took a couple photos and snapped them, and, or whatever, but it's hard sometimes taking out the camera, especially, like, if you're hunting by yourself, and you're like, okay, I want the meat, whatever, um, I need to put an animal down. It, it sucks taking the camera out. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. So definitely, like, if you're going to buy it, like, make sure you take it out and, like, capture stuff as well. And it's something I'm going to – I like, same same resolution. I didn't take any photos for myself this past year. Like, um, I just – I worked almost every single weekend. It was pretty crazy. What do you guys think is the best way to carry a camera when you're hunting? Is it the strap or the peak design clip, or do you, do you don't you have like a hip clip, David? I have a couple of different systems. Um, I have one of the peak designs that goes on your shoulder strap, um, and then I've got one of those uh, cotton carriers that goes on your chest. Um, a dingo I, ate my baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I typically, uh, unless I'm shooting, um, I'll have my camera in my backpack, lens taken off. Um, Cause I've had some mishaps. I, uh, I, I fell on some ice, got ass packed and, uh, slammed my camera and, and had to send it in and get, uh, fixed. Uh, but yeah, I always take your camera apart. Yeah. I don't, I've never, I've never taken it apart, but I've, I've never fallen too bad. Um, I always, I always keep it in those, um, what are those, Aaron? Those fucking ugly yellow ones. Eight they case, redid eight, them. They're gray now. The eight, eight case, case. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So the eight case, I really like them. I run a whole bunch of those. To follow along with what TJ and David both said, I don't take mine apart either. What you, what I should do probably, <laughs> well, I say with a 50 millimeter, it's not as detrimental as this giant dongle hanging off the front of it. If you have the giant 70 to 200, you're actually also, especially on Sony's, going to wear out the attachment. You will start to get slop in that thing, and having that lens attached in your pack, torquing the living fuck out of it every step you take, especially, Frank, you and I will wedge those things in with dead animals. Same with you, like, you know, all right, whatever in the bottom, debone me. De oh, where do I put my camera? Let me just jam that fucker in here. Well, when you have the lens hooked on, it will wear out the the attachment point so i uh, even though i'm not listening to david and probably won't start i should take the lens off my <laughs> camera but i i never do um but go go ahead with the ape case that's probably the cheapest best option i've found is the ape case but uh go ahead tj yeah yeah so i run the ape case uh they have a couple different sizes and yeah they're they're like i think 15 or 20 bucks they're they're not too maybe 30 for the bigger one but that's, that's what I run, and I'll run it um, just in the top of my pack or whatever, um, and then I'll put, like, puffy coat or, like, a shirt over top of that to where it's not the first thing. Um, yeah, or, or I have uh, – I do have that Peak Design Capture Pro that I'll put on my shoulder, but typically when I'm hunting, like, I don't have it too much. Sometimes I'll have it out depending on, like, where I am, but um, – I'm not shooting wild, wildlife, so if I really want to take a, like, a sick photo, I'll just 
put my take my pack off, get the camera out, whatever, get my tripod out, um, take some photos. So gotcha. So as we're kind of going all over across the board here, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the the micro four thirds crop mirrorless, um, you know, options. The you know, well, we haven't talked about lenses at all. You know, the memory, like some of the down the the problems with photography. You know, the the thing. With everything, one of the things that you hear TJ and I talking about the camera or the phone, I'm only saying that if you're not sure you like photography or you're not willing to take the plunge. And when I say the plunge, I don't mean the full-on, holy shit, uh, David, TJ, Aaron, Frank plunge where we dropped 10 grand into photography, meaning are you willing, are you wanting to stair-step your way up or or initially spend a bunch of money um, to, to get into photography because... I have to say I've not had the best luck uh, with my my current wife or my previous ex of buying them pho- photography equipment in hopes that they'll like it and then turning around and selling it because they didn't because it's an investment you will lose money on. The, the resale value is not great. Um, you're going to lose 30% at least um, from what you paid for it. So you want to make sure that you, you like photography. It's something you want to do. If that's the case, then the T5 or T7i, the D80, I don't know all the different names, cheaper, even the D6 and 750, like the Nikon 750 is what now, like 1800 bucks maybe? Yeah, it's definitely under two grand. Yeah. yeah. The, and then what's the new D6 II or whatever? You're, you, you, you have the prices on Canon stuff kind of figured out, TJ. What is that, 1600 Uh, the Oh, the Z6 No, the, or whatever, the, the Canon. No, no, the Canon D6 or whatever their step below 60. the mark oh, for R6. 60. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 6D, not not R6. See? Oh, the, there's too the many fucking mark cameras. <laughs> so the main the main thing to remember with Canon and Nikon is they they just reverse the number and the letter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but if you're going to spend and let's say get a what's a common one the 24105 f4 lens. I think they're 1400 bucks you can buy and be used for less than that. And a fifteen hundred dollar body, so three grand. You can do a lot with that system. My, my main thing, and I do get irritated on social media about this, and I'll be curious what when people call and say, "What setting were you on?" That doesn't isn't going to help you. All right, there there's there so many variables. Whether it's a night photo, especially with low light, there's a lot of variables. Where I'm like, "Hey, man, this was the general settings, but." read the fucking manual, right? Like you have everything at your disposal nowadays. We're not talking it's the 1980s, right? Like you can figure out everything literally from reading your phone and enough to go screw around. Frank, I didn't hardly teach you shit. I just showed you a few settings and then the rest was you just, what'd you call it? A Guesser and checker. Yeah, guesser and <laughs> no, checker. No, I, uh, <laughs> um, one thing that helped me, I think, is just being familiar with your camera. So there's like you're saying the, the lynda.com or I just went on YouTube and um, I just went to a tutorial on the a7r2 which was the first one that I started with and well I had the Olympus as well that you gave me um, but both of those cameras I just went to YouTube and went to the tutorial and there's a bazillion of them per, for each camera and uh, I really like the uh, nose photo <laughs> I like the, uh, <laughs> I like, <laughs> I like <laughs> the videos from uh, the the couple what are their name Tony and Chelsea yeah Tony and Chelsea yeah I like their videos a lot and um, yeah man I don't know there's just a, a ton of information out there and it's free so 
I think knowing your camera is huge. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm going to lead into to, to TJ or David from from here, who are the quote unquote professionals. I suggest reading the manual, going to YouTube. Like when when you message me and say, "Hey, what's aperture priority?" That's when I think of that meme of the meme of the black dude that says, "Google that shit." <laughs> you really think I'm going to explain it better than a you know somebody that's making a 200k a year for as a professional like. You can Google and read and find out what all of this means. We'll talk about it in a minute, but, you know, as we're talking about bridging up and, you know, potentially buying better cameras and the, the options for, 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 for you, TJ, when people are looking at and say they, they want a $3,000 budget, that's an easy question for all of us to answer of what to get. The first things that, that I feel they should learn. Well, I, I, I'll go over mine in a minute. What are the first things they need to learn in your opinion, TJ? Uh, definitely shooting in manual and not not putting on any um, like auto settings and just learning aperture uh, so aperture ISO shutter speed white balance um, getting all of that done and then once you get a good feel of the camera and you can manipulate it without even looking at it because um, especially like if you're on a paid shoot and you're making a couple grand. Like you don't have time to fuck up. Like it's it's like you need to know your your camera or settings or whatever. And um, like I sh I shoot with this one guy that hires me quite a bit to do all this like drink photos. And I was so busy in May that he had to hire some other guy. And after every single photo, he had to change the settings. And he was like, "Holy shit, this is fucking terrible!" Like he goes, "This this guy's a joke." Like and it's just in that regard, it's like I'm professional, but. Like, just knowing your camera and getting, like, the ins and outs of it and taking it out and, and knowing it. And so, like, when if you're frustrated with your camera and you're like, oh, it's just the camera, it's the camera's smarter than you. It, so just knowing how to manipulate it and take photos and, and also knowing, like, the limits of your camera. Like like you said, like, I bought Paige that Canon 60 Mark II, which I think now it's, like, it, I think I looked it up. It's thirteen ninety nine at Best Buy. Um and so it, it's basically a fucking paperweight on the fucking on the on the shelf. But 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 so like but when I took my D850 and I was waiting for the R5, I I just used it. But it's also so like using that camera compared to a D850 or the A7R2 or now like this R5, you have to know your shit because the dynamic range, which I'll explain. So basically, it's the ability to to um, to bring back and uh, store all of that data that's in the shadows and the highlights. So if you were to shoot, like I shot a photo I posted from like, it was like from URA and it, it looks completely dark. And I posted like my settings before and after and everything. And um, I don't remember who I think, Oh, it was um, Amanda. She asked, she's like, how the heck did you edit that without coming out noisy? But it's just, you, you have to know the, the camera capabilities and limits to, to shoot that way. Um, oh, and Aaron, you can download an app called Photo Summary, and it just gives the settings. It's easy. I know it's probably too much of a step for you because you don't even add captions half the time. But um, no, I, don't. I, started adding those, <laughs> I started adding those to my photos because then I don't have to answer it. But like, You should see Frank's photo. watermark. It's like a dick with really hairy balls. <laughs> it's right in the bottom right corner. Says the life right away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. 
No, but like that's all I was saying. Like, and it's funny because I'm I'm just using all Canon like uh, DSLR glass, the EF glass on the on the mirrorless system right now, just saving up because the body alone is it's like thirty nine hundred dollars before tax. So, um, but yeah, definitely just getting to know your camera and. And then once you are good in manual, then going to after priority, I think is fine just because after, or if something happens and you're like, well, why the hell is this happening? You, you know why it's happening. We'll come back to that because people don't <laughs> even know what the fuck that means. So we'll, we'll explain aperture priority in a minute, which I'm an aperture priority baby until I get to low light. But, um, David, do you want to add anything to what he was just saying? I, I would totally agree with, um, understand exposure, um, what aperture does for keeping everything in focus or limiting focus and then understanding what shutter speed does where you can freeze motion or show motion and then understanding basically the exposure triangle, which is aperture, ISO, shutter speed, and then understanding white balance and how how that changes the color uh, temperature of the image uh, based on what kind well, of stop lighting. Stop right there. Let's go through all those. Yeah. This is where it gets really fucked up for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, that what David just listed literally will give most people headaches initially, because if you, what would I, if you adjust one, it affects four more um, or three more. Meaning, you can't just adjust one. Even in aperture prior, um, you you have these different settings on the camera. The, the aperture, well, if you guys don't mind, I'll explain these, and I'm going to let you guys dive into how it affects certain shots. Is that cool, TJ? Yeah. Okay, so aperture and shutter are two primaries. They both affect this, the same. It's all about the lens and how fast and how big the hole opens when you when you push the button to take a photo, I'm explaining this in a very redneck way. So people understand it. The Fra- aper- Frank's eyes perked up when you said how large the hole opens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, you it have the lotion on the skin. Yeah. <laughs> you have this, uh, when you look at the camera, you have this little F in, in, in your viewfinder or your screen. And it'll say something like F 2.8 F 5.6, whatever you have your adjustment set to. And that your lens will also have uh, variables and, and, and things on the lens, meaning some lenses, the cheaper ones are going to be F4 uh, is the, the, the fastest um, or, or the, well, how would I put this? If, if your lens goes to 2.8, it's considered a fast lens. You know, for example, you can go down to 1.2, my 50 millimeters of 1.2 um, or a 1.4. But what the aperture has to do with, is how big the hole opens so or how small and so when you when you think of the aperture if you have the 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 hole in the lens opens really wide for example and lets a ton of light in uh what it also does is it it, it affects the depth of field so you have the aperture which is how big the hole is the shutter speed is how fast the hole is open so the shutter means how quick just uh, or is it open for a long time? So a night photo, you could have your shutter open for 30 seconds, uh, meaning it's wide open the entire time. Then you have the ISO. Jesus Christ, does any of us even know what ISO means? Okay, what is ISO? Uh, it all started with film, and it's ISO stands for International Standards Organization. And it's the... Uh, Did you know this, TJ? 
No, I didn't Idiot. know that. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't know either. So go ahead, David. Cut him off this podcast. Nerd, nerd talk. Right? Nerd talk. I looked um, it up once. <laughs> yeah, it's just the sensitivity uh, the sensor has to light, basically. High ISO is very sensitive to light. It'll pick up a minute amount. Um, low, it also increases noise. Um, and then low ISO is just a smoother image. So we'll, we'll, and it, what, what ISO does, I understand what ISO stands for. I, I, I looked up probably three years ago and I obviously forgot it as fast as I, but when you talk about a headlamp in a, in a, inside of a shelter, if you have an extremely high ISO at night, it's going to blow out that light. And so you have to adjust the ISO in accordance to, to work in continuity with your aperture setting as well as your shutter setting and your ISO, that's why when people ask me, hey, what were your settings? I'm like, it is a moot point because my specific situation for that photo could be different than yours. Then you have white balance, which is the color, how do they say? Okay, so my my a lot of my photos are a little brown, like softer look. I shoot in a shady house setting, but you have all these different options for white balance. I'm going to have you guys go over all this shit in a minute. Um, you also have, you know, your exposure value. Uh, you have one of the a very important thing when you're when you have your adjustments on your camera when you talk about your your the lighting you're dealing with. Well, when you have these different lighting, it takes like what seventy. Per, it, it your camera is smart enough to where it's going to take all of the different lighting situations if you have your it set up for. You know what? I'm going to stop because I'm going to screw this up and you guys are explaining this better. You guys take it from here because I'm fucking it up. Keep going over the settings. Sorry, guys. <laughs> We're talking white balance? Well, go ahead and go over white balance a little bit better than me, but also go over um, the, the when, you, when you're talking about the, I'm forgetting the name of it, and it's I changed it 14 times on one photo, the, the lighting, the... Oh, the, your metering. Metering, Jesus Christ, yes. The metering settings are very important as well because your camera is smart enough, uh, depending upon what your metering setting is, it's going to take all the different lighting in that, that, that frame if you have it set up for full-frame metering, and then it's going to adjust it accordingly. But if you want to get one of those photos where the David's holding his bow and he's blacked out, but then the backing lighting is perked up. Those are different metering settings you can adjust. But you guys go ahead and take it from here because I'm kind of screwing it up anyway. So, like, with white balance, I, I kind of, like, refer to it as, like, the temperature of the of the photo. So, like, there's, like Aaron said, he shoots in a warmer um, kind of style and there's, like, a cooler style. So, basically, a lot of the time, I'll just set the Kelvin. So, like, on the... On the more advanced cameras, you can set the Kelvin to 5,600, 6,000 Kelvin. Um, that's I'm anywhere typically, like throughout the day, anywhere from 5,000 to 6,000 roughly, um, taking photos. And then if you like, go indoors, it gets a little different. It's, it's definitely lower. Um, so th that's something you can do. And you can even shoot on, if you're shooting in raw, you can shoot in auto white balance which if you want to be lazy and sometimes if you're in changing environments, um, that's always fine. But if you shoot in JPEG, it actually burns that white balance into the image to where you can't change that. Like you can kind of manipulate it in Lightroom, but it's not something you're going to really be able to change. Dave, do you have anything? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, with the, with the JPEG, you're, you're kind of stuck with it and you're just adding filtration to either warm it up or cool it down, but it's not really... 
doing it as well as in, in a raw image. Do you guys um, always recommend that people shoot in raw then? Not everybody, um, but it, anyone that wants to manipulate the image and learn photography, raw is definitely the best. <laughs> that goes for multiple things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like TJ was saying, yeah, like TJ was saying, like the whole Kelvin thing, um, you know, you've got sunlight, which is, um, kind of a neutral for a camera. And then you've got like tungsten lighting, which is like indoor incandescent bulbs that are quite a bit warmer in color. And then you have shade, which is a lot cooler in color. And we talk about them in Kelvin measurements. Um, uh, and the lower the Kelvin measurement, the warmer the color of light. So like 3,200 K is, is like an incandescent bulb. Um, 6,000 K or 5,600 is typically sunlight, uh, which is more neutral. And then shade is going to be a little bit higher than that. And that's just basically white balance and setting, setting the camera setting for the situation that you're in will give a neutral type color to the image uh, rather than have it like orange or, or blue or whatever. Yeah. And that, like to touch ba- like touch back on what Aaron was saying about the metering. So typically I don't change this unless, like you said, you're doing like a specific shot, but I'll just do the evaluate. I don't know all the names of them. I just know there's one that evaluates the entire image. That's typically what I'm on, but if you're trying to get I just like call it full screen, shot, dude. That's just <laughs> yeah. full screen. I don't yeah. think that's what it's called, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, unless you do like, you can do spot metering, like Aaron was saying. And so, if you choose a spot on your screen, and it's let's say it's for the sky, well, the sky is obviously a lot brighter than the subject would be of of David on the on the horizon, whatever, with his bow. So it's going to look like a silhouette. And so to get those shots, you really have to shoot to your edit. So in, in that, that, like I, I say that a lot with I shoot to edit. So I shoot a darker image, and I retain all of the highlights, and I bring up the shadows. So a lot of the photos that you see, if you don't shoot the way that you're wanting to edit it, it, it like, it, it's good. Same thing goes for video. If you're if you're doing some type of like if you want to do some transitions, if you don't film it correctly, it's really hard to make certain stuff work. So like if you want a bright and airy photo, then you're gonna have your you're gonna shoot a higher exposed image on your exposure, um, like your metering and everything. So it, it's just it's yes, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And, it's just learning your camera and, and knowing what to change in that regard. And one of the things I have found, and I'm sure this sounds complicated, but depending upon how your brain, you know, works and, and, and what kind of a learner you are and, and what kind of dedication you have, you actually do pick it up the basics really fast. What I've learned is from my first year, I would take 2,500 photos and have 25 good ones to now I'm not knocking it out of the park every photo, but I generally can get the settings. I I don't have as many duds on when I say a primary photo, meaning I have a photo I know I want to take, a lighting setting that is constant. Um, I don't have any moving people, parts, or pieces, some type of a landscape photo, a tent. I can generally knock that out of the park if I take three, uh, just the settings a little bit on each one. One's going to be golden. Where before I might have taken 35 to 40, especially night shots, low light, 
Most of them were shitty. I go back home, my viewfinder, I'm looking at it in the dark, and it's like, oh, yeah, plenty plenty bright. Get home. I'm like, motherfucker, these are dark <laughs> as shit. Um, so now I, I, can, I can get, I don't have as many duds, but that is on, when I say primary or stationary photos, where you're doing a photo shoot and one thing, like I've been with David where he's, you know, that that's his deal. He's taking photos the whole shoot, and uh, I'm sure with TJ's the same thing. Those are when you are taking photos where I say I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to set my, my camera up, the settings to the best of my ability to knock these next 300 photos out of the park. I might adjust it a little bit in the middle. I'm expecting duds on those. I'm going to have focus issues, especially if I'm getting awkward angles and, and I, you know, it's hard to see exactly if the focus is perfect, if it's somebody's moving, if I'm in a hurry. Those I'm expecting to pick out of 150 photos, I'm probably going to have one great photo. A dog running around, kids playing, sporting events, arrows in flight. You take arrow in flight photos, for example. I'll get the settings right, but the arrow may not cooperate to coincide with, well, if I buy a 1DX, I think my problems will be solved because that fucker fires 20 frames a second. Um, <laughs> but you're going to have to take several photos you're going to get put them on your computer. You're going to look at them. I highly suggest get those fuckers off of there the moment you're done because you're going to forget and you're going to overload your computer. That's So on those settings, and I'm we're going to go through, well, Frank, you're a checker and guesser, so you may not comment, but <laughs> I'm going to give some scenarios of different lighting situations and, and, and how I would set up my camera initially, and then you guys can go over how you'd set up yours and probably some things I'm going to forget about. Low light uh, and moving objects specifically, you know, when you shoot sporting events, which I don't like doing, um, you better have your fucking autofocus dialed and understand focal tracking or focus tracking the capabilities of your camera, um, the capabilities of your battery, because if you're shooting something like a Sony a seven two, you got about 300 shots and your battery shit. Um, where the newer ones, like I think that one DX takes 30,000 photos for a, a battery. Um, it's you like know, 28, yeah, 2,800. Yeah, something like, it's, it's something insane, 2,800. So, okay, so let's say we're all for camping. We have a wall tent. Uh, the sun has gone down. We, we are into, the moon is not up yet. We've got stars in the sky. We've got a lantern on the inside of the shelter, and we want to get just that outside glowing shelter. Um and actually, I won't even say my settings first. TJ, what are you looking at, and how are you setting up your camera for that photo? Meaning, no one's moving. You just want to get some stars in the background and the tent lit up like we all see in these different photos everybody seems to take now. What are your settings? Um, it, it just it depends on also like what you're if you're going for star trails. That's another thing. But um, so typically, you're going to want to be at a lower aperture because it's at night. So you're going to Technically, probably, you're probably going to be around 2.8 for your aperture. So you're going to have um, your lens open really wide. Can, I'm sorry, be, we didn't talk about this, TJ. Talk about the depth of field uh, in accordance with the aperture setting. Sorry. Uh, yeah, okay. So for aperture, so the lower the aperture, the wider the lens gets, the more light that's let in, but the shallower the depth of field. And it also... It, it changes depending on your focal length. So at, at 14 millimeters at 2.8, there's a quite a bit 
that's going to be in focus. But at 200 millimeters at 2.8, that focus might be like your, your, an inch your nose. or two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it could, yeah, just like your eyelash. It, 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 can, it can get razor thin. Um, so, yeah, so that's just something to be cognizant about. So if you're at a wider, if you're at a wider focal length, and you have a really wide aperture, such as a 2.8, it's going to open up a lot of light, or open your lens up a lot, and it's going to let a lot of light in. And that allows you to run a lower ISO and have a less grainier image. It's going to look a lot cleaner. Um, so typically, my go-to, um, and it's just depending on the focal length of the of, for your lens, but it's a 2.8 with 20 to 30 seconds, and I, I try to keep my ISO under a thousand. It just, it just depends. Like you said, if the moon is up, um, if it's not up, if you have some type of, uh, light pollution from like, if you're close by a city, um, you're going to get that as well. So that, all those things, that's where when Aaron says it doesn't matter what my settings were because typically Aaron's in places that there's not light pollution and you get super clean images. A lot of us don't have that luxury in Colorado. Like in Arizona, there's a lot of cities, by a lot of stuff, uh, like where you hunt. So you have to be cognizant of that and, and knowing where that light pollution is going to be and it'll affect like your ISO and, uh, and how long your um, shutters open. David, go ahead and dive in after that, then I'll take over from there. I, I totally agree. Um, I would, I would just start with, uh, I, I, typically don't like high ISO shots just because of the noise and everything. When they um, say noise, it's grainy as shit. It, it literally looks like it's on a canvas. So if you bump your, even though the camera manufacturers, it's marketing say, we'll go to 127,000 ISO. You'll never use that photo ever. It will go to that. So really a thousand, 2,500, like 2,500 ISO. I try not to go over 2,500 ISO very often um, for, for this, the simple fact the grain just gets to be to where the photo is something I don't personally like um, on the on the ISO and we'll talk about that in a minute um, but let's like you guys talked about what you're looking for you have um, some light distortion you have cities the moon coming up are the stars bright are they dull and, and, and then again you can if if one of the things when you're looking at the viewfinder compared to a 27-inch Mac, if you have a lantern on in the shelter, you have to f – I personally pick my biggest problem first when I'm getting ready to set up my camera, meaning I've got a, a Hilleberg, a, a Kafaru, a Sawtooth, and a wall tent all set up. You better make sure everybody's lanterns or headlamps are about on the same setting and brightness for each shelter – because one of those is going to end up being a cocksucker and going to blow your photo out. And you're not, you know, the setting you needed for the Hilleberg ended up being totally different than you needed for the... Now, I'm not saying the, the, the photo isn't going to be a good photo. It won't be a perfect photo. So when you're doing these night shots, you know, you want to make sure the lighting inside each shelter to make it glow is about the same temperature and brightness um, otherwise you're going to, the photo will be blown out and one of the shelters is going to look goofy. So you get that set up and then I'm like, okay, the moon's not out yet. So now I'm going to be usually between 2.8 and F4, depending upon the lighting, you're almost always going to be at 2.8 when it's super dark. There's just no way around it. So my depth of field 
isn't great, but it's enough because I'm probably shooting a wider, like a 18 millimeter down to 12 millimeter type lens. So my depth of field is a little bit better, but I want to find my focal point. I want to figure out where the brightest light is. Once I figure that out, I want to figure out, okay, how long do I want my shutter open? Meaning if you leave it open too long, you're going to get star trails. You may want those. More than most likely, you're going to pick up jets and shit, blinking red lights across your, your photo. Those are things that pop up. And then if your ISO is too high, your, your light in the photo that the ISO is helping you brighten will be blown out. And so this is where I say, if I take a photo of David outside standing with a pack on, that's eh, a one and done. It's probably like a 15 to 25 and done for a night shot because there's so many variables that you're going to, even the focal, like when, I, when I'm working on the focus, I may bump my focus in and out just a little bit here and there because what I'm seeing at night and what I'm seeing in the photo, there may just be one that clicks a little bit better when I go to editing. So if I'm doing these, these night shots, you want your tripod or your camera on a tripod. Without a doubt, you have to have it stable. If I have my shutter open for a long period of time, with a mirrorless, it's different. But if you're dealing with, you're going to want to lock your shutter open on like a Nikon D850. Um, you may want to lock that thing open because you'll get, what do they call that, shutter bump or shutter shake shutter, or whatever. Shutter shake. Yeah, shutter yeah. shake. Um, all of these things come into play. And then I'm going to put my... Uh, camera if you don't have a remote on a timer so my finger hitting the button doesn't affect this meaning I hit the button back off five seconds later it fires the photo so you're not getting shake from pushing the button um, once I take that photo and I, let's say I'm at 20 seconds uh, shutter so my shutter's open for 20 seconds I'm at a 2.8 aperture and my ISO I'm going to probably start out at a thousand and hopefully work my way down um, when I take this first sample photo, I always, it's almost like a sight around for a sniper. I always got to take one <laughs> to give me kind of an idea of, okay, yeah, gave her a little too much juice on the shutter. Maybe you want to drop that down some. Once I figure that out, you know, that's where, again, that you're really going to, as you learn photography, the first time you take night photos, you're probably going to want to throw your camera off a cliff. It's going to be pr pr pretty irritating for you. The 15th time you do it, you're going to get closer and closer to being able to knock them out of the park. There's a photo I have, Frank, you and I came with Amy, where the steam's coming up from her coffee cup. It, even though that seems probably like a simple photo, I think she was going to fucking kill me because I took 30 times it took me to get that shot. I'd have to heat up the coffee to get the steam going, and then you know I have to keep her sitting still. So even though my shutter was only open for, I think that was four seconds, I had my ISO super low because she had a headlamp on because that would have blown out that photo. And then my aperture was easy because she was right in front of me. I had it at 2.8. And then I had it on the tripod. And I had, I think, a, in a no, I have it at an F4 because it was 11 to 24 uh, Canon lens. And that only goes to F4. Now, did I capture the moment? It's one of the better photos I've ever taken. Um, that one, and there's another one, my buddy uh, D's, or, well, his name's Derek. We call him D's nuts uh, in front of a, a fire in the, in, in, we were in the maroon bells. Those photos, if you're a photographer that can knock that out in one shot, you're just better than me. Those photos generally for me are, 
I don't know, for you, for, for you, David, and you, TJ, that's probably an hour and a half photo shoot to two hours to just get a few good low-light photos. Do you guys agree with that or disagree? I'd agree, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100% agree. And, like, like, also, like, with the headlamp, um, have it on the lowest setting, and typically you even have to put sometimes, like, a shirt or or something over it as well because um, you'll blow that that shelter out um and you'll you'll learn just depending on how bright everything is it's not one and done i can say okay do this and it'll look good um it's just it's like he said you're gonna take 15 photos it's gonna take 45 minutes to an hour of you at camp fucking around with the settings and you're not gonna know it looks good until you get home (laughs) and this is where frank's technique comes in handy you know you're just trying different things and looking at it and see what works well, and, and yeah. you know, whoever, if someone tells you they're not using Frank's technique, uh, at certain times it's full of shit because you, you, the, you say, is it a checker, a guesser and a checker? Guess and checker. Yeah. So <laughs> what, and what he means by that is he's guessing the settings and checks them for, for me. Well, like, uh, one, one of the few photos I took, we were drawing, well, we were drawing penises with our headlamps at night. Um, and you leave the shutter open for 30 seconds, and then you draw whatever you want to with the headlamp. You know, you got to put your hand over it to stop it. And so, you know, you end up with this basically lighted drawing at night, whether, you know, if you love your wife, it's a red heart. If you're perverted like Mike Kern, you draw a big dick uh, with your headlamp. Yeah, uh, big triumphant bastard. But John Pence drew one of the most triumphant wieners on Tiburon Island I've ever seen. Knocked it out of the park in one shot with the whole thing. When though you have those photos, like, yeah, you may not be drawing something with a headlamp, but let's say you want somebody walking from their tent um, out of camp with their headlamp on so you have that light stringing. Uh, you have these shots, let's say, when you do cityscapes. Um, you you have to get, when you do cityscapes, some of these photos, you, you have to get basically a, well, um, it's, a, it's a filter that, you know what, that's going to really confuse people. Basically, you're cheating the lighting when you put these filters on. So when you get these streaming headlights coming through, they're not blown out. That filter allows you to kind of trick your camera on what to do. All of these things just come with practice. That's one of the things I would say, TJ, when you grabbed the bull by the horns, uh, when you started using, uh, doing more uh, inside portrait photos and things like that, I find those way more of a pain in the ass for me than the outside throw the headlamp up photos. You're dealing with flashes and whatever the other goofy shit is where you have the little white circle popping light and all the other things I see pros use those are an epic pain in the ass. What was your trial and error period with that TJ when you started doing the, the, the inside photos of hot chicks? Um, so the, uh, it was honestly, I would actually set the camera up in my like living room and take photos of myself just to, just to where when I went on a photo shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, there's a lot of, like, when I was first, when I first Did started, you wear the lingerie? So fucking photos. Yeah, the loincloth. The <laughs> these, these were for OnlyFans, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, if you're are, a Patreon member, you, you got to look at these. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it honestly, like, getting stuff dialed, like, in the house first before I would go on a photo shoot because I don't, I didn't want to do any free photos. Like, hey, I'll, 
like, let's collab. That's what everyone loves to say, but I don't want to collab. I want to make money. So <laughs> I like, um, so I would just like test out stuff before and it's just, it's just getting it dialed of like now if I go on a photo shoot, I don't even, it's just muscle memory. Like I don't even think of it. So it's, you're, it's in, you're going through the same steps. So if you want a blurry background, you're going to have a lower aperture. So 2.8, 1.8, 1.4, 1.2, whatever it may be. And then uh, I always, like David said, I try to have my ISO. I always start everything at 100 or low or whatever, and then I'll bump it up if necessary. And then I just have the shutter speed commensurate with whatever I'm doing. If I'm shooting people, they move. They're not going to sit. They don't sit still. Um, so technically, so typically, and I shoot a more this is going to really go down a fucking rabbit hole. Yeah, I shoot a dark, like a darker moody um, photo, So, and I use high-speed sync. And so what high-speed sync is, is every camera has a shutter speed limit for flash. It's usually 1 200th or 1 250th of a second. So if you go past that, it, it basically allows you to shoot 1 8,000th, because I live in Arizona, it's, it's super bright and... Um, so you're wanting to basically expose, they call it expose for the sun. So I'll shoot one eight thousandth of a second, 2.8, then I'll have my strobe set at one of one. So it's at full power. So, and that kind of gives you that like kind of moody look. It's not bright and airy. Um, and I just kind of developed that just cause I kind of, I liked it, but it was, it took a lot of trial and error. Like it, there's a couple photos that I took that I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe I took this two or three years ago. It looks like shit. I can't believe I got paid for this. Um, so it, it's just, it's just trial and error with, with anything. Um, and yeah, with the whole, like the shooting the girl thing, everyone has an OnlyFans and they want free photos because they're showing their tits. And I'm like, ah, my wife's got tits too. Like, I don't need to see this. Like, <laughs> so can I, um, can I touch them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. The I jumped on the podcast with Luke a couple weeks ago, and he's like, he goes, "Where's she at? Where's she at? Let's see the titties." <laughs> what the hell? Then she walked in the house. She walked in the house from like I don't know. She's at Target, and I go, "Luke wants to see your tits," and he's like, "Well, I'll see." Her eyes look pretty too. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds about right. Going going back to your work, um, Aaron just showed me that photo that he did with Amy with the uh, the steam that's backlit with the headlamp. You know, something that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, first of all, something that we see with our eyes is not, the camera's not going to pick it up the same way. The dynamic range is different. That's a cool shot. Um, and and really, like, the position of the light's important. So Aaron's, Aaron's photo, like, the steam is backlit with Amy's headlamp. It's really cool. And then TJ's photos, like I was just looking at your uh, your professional page, the uh, the stuff you do for restaurants and and bars. You have a really dark, moody, contrasty type feel to your images. I really love that. Um, how do you how do you go about like deciding where you're going to place the light, and the uh, you know basically some of the settings you have with with your lighting. With doing those photos, I have the I have the flash forty five degrees behind the subject so off to the right or the left just depending on um like how they're if they're left or right-handed um i have the the main strobe behind 
the subject 45 degrees angle towards the camera. And then I have an additional strobe over the top of the image with like a grid to, to light the actual drink or whatever it is. Um, that's typically my setup, uh, for all those in the, so like, like he was saying, so, and it just depends. I might shoot a dark and moody photo, but some of these bars that I shoot at, they're super dark and like low light. So one photo, if you like go down, uh, David, like it's the guy like with the, it's like an atomizer. He's spraying the cocktail. Like, yeah, I love that shot at one eight, one eightieth of a second. Um, and ISO 50. So it's just, it's kind of just, it's the same thing of you're just applying all the same tactics. It's just different environments and just kind of knowing and like the same thing with the steam, um, with that, it's like a hot toddy. It's like the, I don't know how many photos down, like 12 or whatever, but the steam, like capturing steam is not easy. Like, especially for Aaron, who didn't have a strobe, and he yeah, it sucks. Probably, they're probably in the back like, country. Yeah, yes. it, it, yeah, it uh, like a wife that doesn't want to cooperate, and that's what like I told Paige. I'm like, okay, let's do this. She's like, no, she doesn't fucking want to do anything. So I'm like, okay, well, that's why I have photos of myself. And I'm like, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it, it's just it's it's something you just need to learn. And if you don't like the dark photo, you just you just got to change your settings to something that's bright and airy and you just learn kind of how to do that. So, but yeah, that's David, that's typically how I set it up. Um, I'll have the, the light 45 degrees behind lighting everything. And then it, it, uh, it creates kind of a shadow in the front of it. And then I'll have another strobe over the top to kind of light and accentuate like the drink or whatever. So what you were saying and David was asking you, it's no different from indoors to outdoors. You're just rednecking it in the wilderness. Like, I, I can only imagine now that I'm trying to get back into photography, David will probably get, because you go on photography trips somewhat, like, hey, let's go shoot some wildlife or, hey, whatever. A lot of times on, on trips, if you're shed hunting, let's say, you're, you're looking for participation trophies, there's nothing to do when the sun goes down. You might as well take night shots. When you... When you're dealing with what TJ talked about on the indoor side of things, you're dealing with the same thing on the outdoors. Yes, it may be fake light or whatever you want to call it. You you may be dealing with a, a light bulb rather than a headlamp, or you're dealing with the moon rather than, you know, there's all of these variables. There's not a right or wrong. Well, there's a bad picture and a good picture, but you're going to come up with your own style. I have that softer kind of archaic look um, with my style. You look at Fred Baum, all his photos are kind of brownish. TJ, you've got kind of your style. David's got his. That's really has nothing to do with anything or I'm editing that photo for what I like to see. You might have 90 people that like it and 10 people hate it out of 100, right? Everybody's going to have their own style. Now, for the most part, I try not to edit the photos too much. I'll edit edit them a little you're going to have to edit some of them. That's why the editing software is there. Um, you know, when I say that, meaning you may need to lighten, darken, you may need to pick up some edges, whatever. You do all that, you can do it in Lightroom or Photoshop. You have to come up with a good understanding of how all these settings and lighting works to come up with your own, you know, style. Um, when you went on, on outdoor photos, like, David, you've been shooting, you were shooting a 750, and then you just, when did you get that? the 850 
man, I got on the list when they first announced it. Uh, gosh, I don't remember what year that was. I've, I've had that 850 for a number of years. It's probably time to upgrade, but, um, you know, I'm not a super technical guy. Like it's, it's not all the camera. It's not all the lens. It's what you know and how you apply it and it's lighting and all of that. I'm, I'm kind of leading up to that actually. So you've got photographers where TJ, I'd say you're a great photographer and you're geeked up on a lot of things and some things you're like, hell, I don't care. Um, uh, Mike Duplan, I didn't know. I asked him yesterday. He shoots like an antiquated Canon. I, I mean, it has no idea about anything. He's like, I know the new Canon's good. I don't know the name of it. He's like, I can't remember. I'm not into that. Um, <laughs> I watched a special on Nat Geo of a few of their photographers, and they were like really kind of shitting on technology. They're like, you know, they really don't care about what f camera they shoot because it takes away their artistic side or whatever, which I – I get that, but I also like to fire off a photo so I can edit it later with a lot, enough data in the photo. Um, the The thing is, is having an eye for photography, it is far more important in my opinion than than the, the gear you have. Um, as I say that, I'm about to drop sixty five hundred bucks on a one DX Mark III. <laughs> but <laughs> you can grab. How many people do you know that have taken a photo? Uh, and then you're like, oh yeah. And then they hand you the camera and you take the same photo and it's a hundred times better because you understand the settings of the camera or, you know, you, you, you know, a guy keeps taking the same photo, hoping by some miracle that the, the, uh, the, um, not the exposure value, but the, um, the lighting, which I forgot this a minute ago where you're adjusting your, your setting like for the metering or the metering. Good Lord. If your metering is set at pinpoint metering, and you're firing off into your buddy and the sun's behind him, he will be black as the ace of spades, right? There's no way to get around that. The camera's doing its job. If you don't understand the settings to move it off of that, you're going to keep shooting the same photo over and over. Uh, I'm rambling a little bit here, but my point is, is learn how to take a photo, learn what a good photo looks like. And the camera gear is important, but you don't have to break the bank initially. You can you can take a pretty good photo with a, a relatively... I mean, a Canon 5D Mark II and three were, at the time, what, 12 megapixels? That, what, what? Yeah, something like that, yep. Yeah, so what's yours right now, the R5? It's, it's, four, it's 45. 45, yours is 45, isn't it? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, mine's 60. 46.7, yeah. It, it, that's, it's just the application of your knowledge. Like, I get a lot of people like, oh, I wish I could take a photo like that. Like, David and I were kind of not... David didn't say that to me yesterday, but we were talking about the, I posted a photo of the, the Taito knife, um, with like, I made like fake blood, um, and like hung it off of a fishing line and was taking photos and like trying to get the blood like lit without getting a super like, I'm trying to like explain it for everyone to where, so basically with metal, when you use strobe, you're going to get a whole bunch of like glare. So in order to not get the glare, you have to do certain things um, and everything. So it's just it's application of lighting, like just knowing how light works and and manipulating it to your your advantage. Like this shot, honestly, it was on a tripod. You could do this with a T5i, so a, a six hundred dollar camera. It might take you a little longer to do it, but if you have lighting and you you create some type of studio like I did it in my kitchen like I was on the honestly, I was on a conference call and like I was just <laughs> I was bored and I I told Luke 
uh, Johnson that I wanted to do some cool stuff like that. So, um, for his website. So it's just, it's just knowing what you want to do and getting creative in, in that regard of what, like what photos you want to take. You guys have anything to add to that? I think it's all about play and just try different shit out and just see what looks good and, and remember that. And then, uh, you know, with what you're doing, you're, you're taking on one of the the upper level understandings of photography is working with reflective materials and, and trying to light it. And it's, it's not easy. You know, when you, when you talk about that and, and me looking back at just getting back from Arizona and not taking any photos, but seeing multiple, I should have taken uh, a good example of a hunting photo. Cause the, the idea of photographer me is you're stopping time, um, at a certain place in space that you want to share with everyone else. And a good photographer can stop time and capture the moment to where that one photo somebody can look at and understand what you're trying to convey from that picture. So two deer hanging up on the rack upside down, they've been skinned, four guys standing around it. One's got a headlamp on, you know, you've got two Yeti coolers laying there and then the, the, the deer X or heads are on, on top of it okay, you've got low light, you've got bad light, you know, you've got headlamps, you've got guys moving. Can you stop time to let everyone see that shot that was stuck in your mind and make it look like what it did in your mind when you posted on social or a magazine? When you get to a point, um, which I would say a year, would, would you guys agree it'll take about a year of really screwing around with of the camera? Consistent. Yeah, don't put it down. Yeah, yeah, a, a year to to start to, to to understand everything and the more situations you put yourself in. So you look at that. I'm going to have to make everyone stop. I'm going to keep my ISO fairly low because I've got a giant light above the skinning rack. Uh, I've got one guy with a headlamp, uh, but I also am going to want to make sure and get the bodies hanging upside down so you can see the two carcasses. And the idea is, well, there's four dudes after a successful day with two deer on the ground. What lens are you going to need? Well, you're not going to shoot that with a 70 to 200. Um, you're going to be about 40 yards back if you do. So you're going to want something like an 11 to 24. 35 might get it, but probably a 24 millimeter. Um, you know, you're going to want a wider lens. Now, when you talk about lenses, do you want to, are you going to shoot prime or are you going to shoot a, a variable focal length like a 24 to 70? Some people prefer primes. I'm more of a prime guy to a certain degree. Somebody, some guys might do the, what do they call it? The, the Trinity, the 16 to 35, 24 to 70, 70 to 200. Isn't that the Trinity, right? The Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Um, you know, the three lenses. When, when you get into photography, you know, a few twists and turns aside, whether you get um, primes or you have adjustable focal lengths, you're going to want a wide angle for sure. You're going to want a walk around lens, um, and then you're going to want one with a little more legs on it, like a 70 to 200. Now, for me, I use a 70 to 200 the least out of all of my lenses. For you guys, what's your primary lenses? I mean, you're always just going to have one you use more than the others, it seems like, but, uh, and it depends on what kind of photographer you are. What are you guys using more than, you know, for your primary lenses, and what one gets left out more, more than most often? Uh, so I, I use a uh, I use a hundred mil macro a lot actually I don't <laughs> uh, I use a a hundred mil macro uh, it's a two point eight as well as um, a thirty five one point four and and then like 
I guess I'll go over what I, my dream setup or what I usually run. I don't have it yet because I just switched systems, but so I, I want like a, anywhere from like a, a 20 to a 24 mil, like 1.4. I like that, that Canon makes a lens. It's like that. It's pretty sweet. And then, um, 15 to 35, 2.8. Um, but the 35 millimeter 1.4, if I were to have one lens, that it'd be that lens. Uh, that probably gets used the most as well as the 100 mil macro. And then the 7200, it's the same. I, I don't use it too much. Um, especially like hunting solo, I almost never take it, but, um, yeah. So the 100 mil macro, 35, 1.4, and then it, like a wide angle, it, it's going to either be anywhere from 14 to 24 millimeters, t- typically. So I think I think the hunting scenario and and going out and shooting are going to be uh, two two separate things. So you, it sounds like you take a thirty five one four when you go hunting. Yeah, t- typically, yeah, yep. that and then a wide angle. Yep. Yeah, it's I I would I would agree. I do similar things. Um, if I'm going hunting, I'll try to take the smallest lightest uh, lens that I can. I've got a twenty one point eight um, Nikon that I, I love that lens, um, but I I typically don't shoot with that unless, you know, on Frank's hunt, I was filming with that. Um, I'll take that when I hunt, but you know, I'm going to go the opposite direction of you guys. I, my go-to lens, unless I'm in the studio is my 70 to 200 two weight. And the only reason it's, it's heavy, it's big, it sucks to carry around. But the reason I use it is so I can get that depth of field fall off and the compression from the, uh, zoom lens. Um, I just love that feel. It's, it's, it's just a totally different feel. Yeah. No, and I, I would agree. I'm just too lazy to carry it. And I, I don't, I think it, what, what kind of photos you take is also part, part of it. Um, meaning like I'm more of a wide angle guy taking shelter photos or inside the shelter or landscape photos. Um, you can't, well, I've shot probably five weddings total. The 70 to 200 didn't hardly come off the camera for that. And, and so it depends on what type of photographer you are, but I don't know that I've ever packed the 70 to 200 into the backcountry. It's generally a wide angle, like really wide. And then like a 50 and, and that's what I'm, I'm bringing in. But if I had to photograph a hunt, the 70 to 200 would be on uh, more cause I'm doing a lot more photos of people. And a lot of times, you know, you know, they say, you know, a prime, you know, use your legs as your, as your, um, uh, as your zoom. Well, you can't just hop up and tell the elk, Dave, hold it a minute, man. Let me run up here. <laughs> so you need the zoom sometimes. And, and it just depends on what type of photographer you, you know, you, that you are when you talk about these lenses. And the only reason why I'm bringing up the lenses now, uh, was I get people ask me the question of what lens should I get? I don't feel a 70 to 200 should probably be your first lens. Probably a 50 or 35 should be your first, like a walk around everyday lens. But the 70 to 200, especially if you start shooting professionally, um, you can't not have that lens. I don't know how you could get away without having it long term if you're doing weddings, sporting events, or filming or photographing hunts. That's a lens you kind of almost have to have. In, in my opinion, I would, how do you guys feel about that? Totally agree. Yeah. I agree, and I take it, so, like, if I go hunting with my dad, he's not, like, in super great shape to where, like, he could backpack in anywhere, um, 
And so, like, when I go with him, we're typically hunting from the truck or, like, hiking just kind of up, whatever. I bring it then, but, like, like David said, it really does separate. And for my portrait, um, I use that a lot because it does – the compression from that 200 mil, it, it really makes the subject pop from the background. Um, so it does look really good, but when I'm hunting solo, yeah, I'm going to bring something that's a little lighter or whatever, but I, I would definitely agree with, uh, with David on that. And then David, so you say you use the 20 mil 1.8? Yep. Yeah. I was actually going to buy that before I sold the, uh, the Nikon, um, the D850 because that, I heard that lens is pretty thick. Yeah. It's, it's really sharp. Uh, it's got good contrast. It's the edge to edge sharpness on the lens. That's going to separate a good lens from a bad lens as well Is is it sharp on the edges of the frame? Um, this is a really sharp lens and it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's nice and light. It's one of the lighter lenses out there. So on the, the lens thing, um, let's talk about brands and goods and bads real quick of the, you know, the, the lenses. Cause you have the, the G series from, from Sony, which is a Zeiss, uh, super high end lens. You have the L series from Canon, which is their high end. Sigmas have the art series. There's, um, Tokina and um, Tamron, um, Sam Young. I mean, there's a pile of different lenses. Um, how much do you guys feel the difference in, let's say a Canon L series glass or what is the high Nikon, the gold ring ones? What's the high Nikon? What are those? What's the name of those? The high end ones? I think it's just gold ring. I don't, yeah. I don't think it has a gold ring around it. That's yeah. there are 14 to 20. Yeah. So when you compare, let's say, uh, a, a, a Nikon, they're 14 to 24 would be the kind of the side by side mirror of the 16 to 35 from, uh, from, from, from Canon. And there's a 16 to 35 from, from Sony. That's a G series as well. How much of a difference is it worth it for people to buy the 2.8 um, super high-end, super fast lens? Is a Sigma worth it? Should they get, um, you know, one of the Tamron lenses? Like, why don't you guys discuss some of the lenses and the differences, pros and cons, the different, like, is it worth it, that kind of shit? So I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of Sigma. Like I was telling you yesterday, Aaron, they're not weather-sealed. And, well, they, I guess they technically have a very minor one, but it doesn't do anything. So I stay away from Sigma and the Tamron. I do like Tamron lenses. I had the the Sony uh, 70 to 200 G Master, which was like $2,800. And then uh, when I went to Nikon, I bought the Tamron, the G2, so the newer version, 7200. I was looking at images from both. To my eye, I could not justify the additional sixteen or $1,700. There's probably some justification there, but if you're just an everyday photographer, I don't think that the Tamron lenses are bad. They're weather-sealed, and they have the vibration control, which so they're image-stabilized if you're not on a higher-end body that has it built in. Um, but yeah, I, definitely I would recommend anything 2.8 or lower. I'm not a big fan of buying anything that's F4 just because of especially with hunting, you're typically in lower light most of the time. And it's just, it's just nicer to have that. Obviously if your budget doesn't like allow that and F4 isn't bad, you, you can still take great images. Um, it's just, it's just all in how you take them. But yeah, I've been the Tokina. 
I haven't messed around with the wide angle ones, but I had the uh, remember that uh, the angry fat dude, uh, what's it, the angry uh, photographer. I yeah. took his recommendation uh, on YouTube for the Tokina hundred mil macro for Nikon. That lens, I could say, like made me probably like twenty times more than it's worth. Maybe more than that. It's only a three hundred fifty dollar lens. It's not weather sealed, but the lens takes incredible images. Um, and the, when you autofocus it, it extends from the camera. So it's not something you're going to like take on a super extended trip and it's going to get all kinds of dust and everything in it. But I, I personally, I think anything 2.8 or lower, if you can afford it, F4 at the max of what I'd recommend. And then, um, I wouldn't, I would, uh, steer away from Sigma, my personal opinion. And then, uh, yeah, obviously, if you can afford it, get the L glass, get the G Master glass, but it, it also comes with a weight penalty. Like that 85 millimeter G Master, like you could like beat your wife to death with it. It's it's uh, it's a uh, it's a heavy <laughs> lens. <laughs> Dave, you want to kind of hit on the lens stuff a little bit, or your perspective? Man, yeah, that's 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 I don't know. Uh, back in the early days, so I've been shooting for a few years and. Um, I used a Tamron lens and a Sigma lens way back in the day, and they were shit back then. Uh, they've gotten better. Um, since then, I just kind of learned my lesson. You know, you, you buy once, you cry once, you just get get the good stuff now. It's kind of like a Kafaro pack, right? It's like, oh, people are like, oh, it's so expensive. But you get it once, it's going to last forever versus like buying cheaper, low-level stuff and then kind of having to sell it and lose money on it. Um, so I've just, I've just shoot Nikon glass. I started out with a... Canon camera switch to Nikon. Um, I've played around with Sony, but um, I just, I shoot the lenses that are made for the camera. Um, who's going to know better than Nikon than Nikon for, you know, fit and, and form and stuff like that. So with the autofocus system, they're just married together. They just work well together. So that's, that's usually what I do. Uh, I'll agree with, you know, don't go to a 5.6 lens or, you know, something like that. Just, you don't get as much light out of it. The the lens is a lower quality you know, you go to a 2.8 lens or a 1.4 lens and you know, you're going to get a better quality glass, better quality, you know, everything. Yeah. I think on my end, well, I don't think I know. I, I had probably the only cheap lens I've used was a Sam Yang, Sam Young eight millimeter fisheye. It's like 350 bucks because with a fisheye, as weird as it sounds, now I'm not saying I wouldn't have rather bought the $3,000, whatever, $1,800, you know, fisheye from Canon or something. But, you know, the fisheye, I'm not looking at the photo that I'm taking is probably not for the uh, best edge-to-edge clarity. I'm not looking at, um, you know, the crispness that fisheye, you know, if I'm taking a photo of a teepee, let's say, I'm just trying to get the point across that the teepee's really round. There's people laying in it or what. Would I have liked a better fisheye? Yes. But other than maybe what you would, I wish you would call a novelty lens, those might, you might go a little bit cheaper on because it's, it, it's, you're, you're not going to be using it very often. <laughs> you know, you don't want to drop three grand on something you use once a year. But when you're talking about your, your prime lenses, your, your dedicated lenses, just spend the money, um, by far more important on the glass than the, than the camera body. Um, the, the glass is more important. And so whether it's the G series or L series or the gold ring, 
spend the money and you won't regret it. So I always tell people, if you're looking at, you know, buying two to three lenses that are cheap, buy like a 24 to 70 2.8, just get that lens and you're going to be better off than buying three cheap ones. Um, and I think you guys are agreeing with that. It sounds like. So. Yeah, totally. That's, that's a good yeah. point. It's like, it's like putting, you've got 2020 eyesight and you put on like dirty glasses, right? It, it's, it's more important to have a quality lens than it is to have a high-end camera, in my opinion. And that brings up another point is uh, don't buy cheap filters. You know, cheap filters are going to reduce the image quality as well. Let's talk about filters. So when you when you get a, a lens, right, there's nothing protecting the actual glass of the lens. And so you want to put a filter on it, like a UV filter, a polarizing filter, whatever, uh, to protect it. Um, there's other filters, obviously, so where you're actually changing the stops more or less or tr- tricking the camera. But your protective filter, if you buy a $29 piece of shit, well, why would you have a $3,000 lens and then a $29 filter? I'm not saying spend $700 on a filter, but dropping 80 90 bucks on a good filter is not a, a horrible idea. And that way, when you scratch the holy ever-living shit out of the filter, you haven't ruined your, your lens. And in, in my case, I looked last night, I had... 14 or 15 filters laying around about half of them are ruined just from scratches. So it's a good thing. You, you want to get a filter when you, when you get a lens, um, you know, I don't know how much you guys have messed with, um, the variable stop filters. I haven't had the great luck with variable stop filters myself, just because they, there, there always seems to be some edge to edge issues. But when you're dealing with shooting like uh, cityscape photos, uh, water where you're wanting the water to have a specific look you have to get these different filters that that basically drop the stops in your camera um, and I'm not explaining this very well so you can adjust the settings inside your camera to have the milky look of a you know like a, a creek flowing where it's really milky looking or consistent or, or the or the water's almost stopped do you guys want to talk about the the filters and how you use them and apply them for indoors outdoors those type of things yeah. So the, so like you can use ND filters. So, and what that is, is basically sunglasses for your camera or your lens. And it basically darkens the image and you have to have a slower shutter speed to get the same amount of light in. So that's where Aaron's talking about. You get like, if you see the waterfall photos during the day or a river photo and the water looks all like creamy and everything, uh, I guarantee Frank's going to think it's something. But, um, <laughs> Creamy. <laughs> but uh, so like, and you can't use, so typical, uh, typical variable ND filters are used for video. But if you, Aaron, uh, we have uh, that, or I have that, uh, the Peter McKinnon from Polar Pro, it's uh, it's like a two to five or I don't remember what it, what it is exactly, but it prohibits, it doesn't allow you to do the cross polarization where you get the lines in a variable ND filter for photos. And that one, the, the quality of it's really good, like ed, edge to edge. It, it's like $250. It's, it's fucking expensive, but it is really good. Um, and it's something that like I used, like when I went to have a suit by like a year and a half ago, I was able to take photos like the waterfall and everything. And like during the day, you can get that like flowy look of the water. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely a lot of, uh, it's a lot of fun to use it. It's just, it's, kind of taking like long exposures, not long, long, like they're a couple seconds, if that during the day, um, and you get different, like unique perspectives with it. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely do like them. Yeah. I would say, you know, for me, I don't use a variable. Um, like TJ said, it would be better for filming. Um, you know, if you're trying to use like a, 
you know, aperture 2.8 shooting wide open during the day and your shutter speed's got to be a certain uh, speed. That's, that's a good thing. Um, I have a, I think I have like an eight stop ND filter from Schneider. It's a, it's one of the cinema ones. It's like a, I don't know, a quarter inch thick, um, four by five inches. And I've got a, like a drop in thing that goes in the front of the lens for, you know, when you really want to slow your shutter down midday, uh, it's really bright out and you want to get that milky, creamy, uh, look to the water or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you can get like a 30 second exposure during the middle of the day. Um, I want to say I dropped like five, 500 bucks on the cinema, uh, filter. It's really nice, but, um, you know, some of the cheaper ones, um, they'll have a color tint to it. You might get a purple tint to, uh, your image, um, that happened with one of my earlier ones. I got a cheap filter and it was, everything was purple basically. Uh, but yeah, great description with basically sunglasses for your, for your lens. Yeah. And, and I was doing a very horrible job explaining that. So I'm glad you dove in cause that fixed it. And you know, the, the idea though of the sunglasses is let's say you're on a, a bridge and you're filming, uh, you know, midnight and you're filming cars coming up the highway. Um, when you do your, when you start to set your, your aperture and shutter, what you're going to find out is while you'll get photos of the cars coming up, um, you, you know, to get the photo, how you would, would, would technically maybe want it. Uh, the lights are going to be blown out cause you're not going to be able to leave your shutter open for a long time, uh, for the, the, the trailing or the tailing lights because it blows them out. So what that the sunglasses do or those filters is that it, it, it darkens the photo that allows you to keep the shutter open longer so you can get those long trailing lights. You can't do that without, there's nothing you can make your camera do to get that look without a, well, it depends on, you know, the lighting, but if you have a variable stop filter or you, you just buy multiple filters, um, you're, you're going to have to have that when you, and this is where our, like archery and, 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 and photography are, are so amazing maybe you never want to take a night photo. You don't get into that. Well, archery is kind of the same way. You know, you can just grab one bow run release. You can do the same thing. You can, but you, you are going to be limited in photography. If you don't dive into some of these different, uh, low light photo setting options, whether it be filters or, or, or flashes or whatever, that stuff you pick up. That's where, why it takes at least a year to get a grasp because you, you're probably not even, you know, scratching, you know, a fraction of what you're going to end up learning after a year, but you've learned the primary settings of the camera, uh, in that time. And then you can dive into this other stuff. Nothing to add to that. There's an awkward well, it, silence. Well, no, <laughs> no, 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 that was, that, it was, it was good. And like the, like a caveat on what David said with the, with the variable ND. So typically you would only use it for, for video. That That's like a traditional one. You typically would only use it for video. With the with that Polar Pro, that Peter McKinnon version, it, it allows you to use it for photos as well, and that was the only reason why I bought it. But I do have another one for that. I need to sell it because I don't have that 14 to 24 anymore. But so basically, I had the same thing. It's that um, it's like a big sheet of glass that that's a 10 stop that goes in front of the lens and it attaches to the front. So it's kind of like the same concept, but like David said, definitely spend the money on it because if you if you buy the cheaper ones, you're going to get weird color cast in your photos. 
Um, but it definitely is something that you can add to your arsenal and take some really creative shots with. Well, we're at about an hour and 50 minutes. Um, I'm sure we could go on and on and on. Is there anything um, uh, that you guys want to add to any of this? Frank does. He spoke up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bummed we don't get to see you this year at, uh, at Sheep Show, man. I know. That was, uh, TJ's that, uh, like our local, uh, he doesn't even live in Reno, but he's like our food guide. He, he tells us what, what's good and what's not. He's like a food connoisseur as well. <laughs> <laughs> On top of being a good photographer, yeah. I, I've been impressed with your work. Yeah. Thank you. No, it really, it really means a lot. The Anders actually, Anders a pretty big foodie too. Um, it's a lot of body to he, put a uh, lot of food in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, it's a bummer we weren't able to go, but it is what it is. Maybe next year we'll see. Yeah, if COVID ends. Well, cool. Well, everyone, if you have any questions, make sure and message. Uh, TJ and David, not me, about photography. Um, again, learn the manual, read the manual, learn the settings, learn photography. Uh, you'll be a lot better off. Um, and and I, I would say once you find out if you like photography, save up the money and spend the money on the best you can afford, just like optics. Uh, you know, you'll be better off, you know, in the long run once you've decided that you want to start to get into photography. Um, well, cool. Well, TJ, thanks for hopping on. Um, and we'll do another one of these, I'm sure in a few months, people pester us all the time about photography podcasts. So thank you again for coming. Yeah, no, appreciate you having me on. Thanks guys. Yep. No problem. Take it easy.